One of the things we have to bear as Christians is Christians. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Paul doesn't sugarcoat the situation in his letter to the Colossians. Sometimes we're just going to have to put up with each other. We are family after all. But unlike our B.C. selves, we now have the resources to enable that patience. Here's Jim. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle is describing what you ought to experience when you come into the presence of a group of Christians. And as you watch them react with each other, as you see a local church, this is what you should be witnessing. These are the things that you should see happening. He tells us in Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, Therefore, he writes, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Now, folks, those qualities are in short supply. They don't make it in the media because they are so rare. And often when they are attempted, they are fake and they are manipulative. But to see a genuine manifestation of kindness, thoughtfulness, generosity, tenderness, long-suffering, gentleness, To see that happening among people is a compelling, absolutely compelling argument that those folks must have resources. They must have a supply. They must be experiencing something that makes them radically different in our world. Why? Well, because the world is more characterized by the things that are written up here in verse 5. Paul says, we're to put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication. Hey, you can see a lot of that today. Pornographic stuff. My, 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 my. It's all, I mean, that's pretty common. Uncleanness, rampant. Passion, unbridled anger, passion. Why, it makes the news every day. And how about this business of evil desire? People hatching schemes that are evil and sinister and malicious and violent. You see that all around you. Covetousness. Covetousness is what drives materialism. Covetousness simply means I'm not satisfied. I want more. More what? More of whatever there is. And that translates to a dollar. You see, that's the world in which we live. That's the the way people expect life to be lived. That's that's life in the, quote, real world, end of quote. But look what Paul says. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. See? And then he goes on to say, you once yourselves, you once walk that way. You were just like that. All of us were just like that. That was what life was about for us. Selfish, 
arrogant, driven, restless, covetous. See, that, that's, that's the way man is. That's the way women are. That's the way society functions. And it says that God has already issued an opinion about those things, that those things are worthy of his wrath. Uh, our friend here at the bus stop is not aware of that yet, is he? That, that he is actually under the wrath of God. And that it's only God's forbearance that keeps God from giving him his just payment. That these things violate, these things offend the standard that God expects of us when he made us in his image and after his likeness. These are all symptoms of a deep sickness. They are not qualities of a well person. Something is radically wrong, so radically wrong that God's wrath is impending, ready to break out upon them. And the writer goes on, Paul goes on and he says in verse, verse 8, now you yourselves are to put off also these anger, see, wrath, that, that's our world, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lying one to another, all of these things are the experience of the average person. And they accept them as being normal. And when they come into an environment or where they meet an individual who exhibits a different set of responses, meekness, gentleness, kindness, thoughtfulness, courtesy, patience, that's a startling demonstration that God is alive and that God is operating in human lives. God is in the business of producing in people a different spirit, a different life. While we were traveling on our vacation, we stopped at a restaurant and it was Sunday morning and uh, we don't often get the chance to be at the restaurant first. We are usually uh, here until every, all of you have gone to the restaurant and all the other folks from other churches have gone to the restaurant and all the folks have gotten up late and go to the restaurant. So this was a unique experience on a Sunday morning to be sitting in a restaurant at uh, 11.15. And we were aware as we looked around us, that many of the folks there had not bothered to go to church that morning. And we were aware that some would soon be coming from church services. So try seeing and I said they're playing a game. I wonder if we can pick out who the Christians are. Now, how would we recognize people who have been to church? Now they've left the church, you see, and now they're back out in, quote, the real world. Can we pick them out? Are they, are they evidencing distinctive qualities that we would say, ah, oh, yeah, she's, she's one of us, yeah, for sure. Well, what would they do? How would they, how would they behave? How would they be different? And then we got real, real critical and wondered if we could pick out the preachers. 
Now, I want to tell you, we could pick out the dear black ladies who sing in the choir. Ah, they are animated. They are, they are wonderful, happy people for the most part. And they are decked out to kill. They know what they are representing. Could we pick out the preachers? Finally, we saw a family come in, and I, I told my wife, I said, I'll, I'll bet he's the preacher. I'll, I'll bet that's the pastor's family. And she said, how can you tell? And I won't go there this morning. <laughs> Just suffice it to say that there are people out there this morning in the world that you're going to be in touch with in just a few moments. There are people here this morning who've come for the first time or second time to worship with us, to be part of us, to, to examine us, to check us out. What are they experiencing? Have they yet this morning, for they've been here almost an hour, have they, have they experienced any kindness? Has, has there been any, anything that they saw you and me doing that made them say, hmm, how do you think they feel about this radical change of our platform? I hope they say, wow, these folks are very serious about this. <laughs> they, 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 obvi they obviously are very committed to whatever this, this concert thing is, this Christmas thing is. They're, they're preparing and they obviously are devoting a great deal of energy and time to it. I hope they feel that and not be sitting there saying, boy, this is a strange group of people. Or maybe they should say, this is a strange group of people. These folks are different. I've gone to church all my life, and I've not been in quite an environment like this. Now, the apostle wants us to behave like the elect of God. And he's told us what those qualities are. There should be tender mercies. There should be compassion. There should be kindness. There should be empathy among us. A genuine spirit of love and care and concern. And it should exude from us and should embrace others. But the focus in this passage is primarily how we are behaving among each other. And it's when you come down to verse 13 that we touch on our particular topic this morning. It says that in the community of believers, we should be bearing or enduring one another, putting up with one another, and forgiving one another. Now note that. There should be a tolerance among us for offenses. Our society loves to sue. And folks are looking for opportunities to take issues to court, hopefully to gain some advantage at someone's disadvantage. That spirit can easily seep into the minds and hearts of believers, and it can very quickly seep into the church until our first response is one of criticism. Something's different. Someone disappoints you. And they're guilty until proved innocent. And they're ostracized until they can work their way back into your grace, your kindness, your acceptance. Now, that's not the way it should be. I remember several years ago, a dear, dear, dear friend said, you know, 
Jim, you're easy. You're easy to fool, you're easy to this, 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 and you're gullible. And I thought, well, maybe not gullible, but I hope I am easy. I hope I'm easy to get along with. Now, don't bother my wife with asking her if that's true. And don't bug my children. Let, let them have their space and their peace. But, but if I could be what I want to be, I would want to be easy to get along with. I'd want to have toleration for people. I'd want to stop taking offense when something happens that I don't like or that I disagree with or something that violates some standard of mine, instead of jumping like a, like a cat on a mouse, I would rather be known as someone who says, well, that's probably not the way I would do it, but let's give them a chance. See, that's what the scripture wants the atmosphere of our church to be. The, the word translated Bearing with one another is a strong word. It means to endure. It means to put up with. It means, it means you got to work hard. You really got to work hard to make me mad at you. You got to really work at it if you want to escape my friendship. I'm committed to you. I'm going to believe that what you are doing and what you have said and and the occasion that has come up, that all of that has an explanation that can fit within the parameters of something that is good and acceptable, see? I'm going to believe the best of you. And I'm going to pray for and encourage the best for you. That's the idea. The idea is that, that, that you are part of a group who love you, who accept you, and who put up with your inconsistencies, your immaturity, and you know that they are not going to kick you out. You know that they are going to hang tough. That's the idea. Now, is, is that true among us? Are we known as the people who are easy? Oh, you say, we need to be tough on sin. No. Now, you won't find that anywhere in Scripture. No. We need to be clear about sin. And we need to be concerned about sin because sin provokes the wrath of God. But we need to be people who are peaceful, gentle, meek. If this morning... You got up with a tremendous burden upon your heart. God's Spirit had provoked you about something and convicted you about something that, that had been lying back there in your history or back there in the shadows or in the closet of your mind. And, and, and you really felt, boy, I, I'd like to do something about that. Could you come to us? Would, would you feel safe coming down? during, after the service, and saying, Pastor Jim, I want to deal with this. Would you feel safe talking to one of the elders or the deacons or their wives? Would you feel safe turning to the person next to you that you've known for years and saying, may I share with you a burden this morning? 
And would you pray with me? Would you, would you feel free to do that? See, one of the reasons why our conversations are often so trite and trivial is because we really have learned not to be transparent. Would you feel safe confessing your sin, your faults, your burdens to someone sitting in your pew this morning? Now, I know you need to be cautious about that because that person may be new in the faith. That person may themselves be troubled with that. And, of course, you take a great risk of exposure. But, but as a people, as a church, is grace known as a place of grace? That's the point. Because that's exactly where the conversation moves. The apostle says that, that we should be enduring each other, bearing one another, and forgiving one another. And then he gives this marvelous statement, this marvelous foundation for that. I was impressed this week as I came in to watch them. Now, you can't see them because they've covered them. But between this plank and, uh, well, here, there you can see it. Look at this. See that? That's steel. That's metal. There are huge, long metal girders that go from here back there. You, you, could, you could do a lot of things on top of there, and that's not even going to bounce. Because it's a firm foundation. We, we don't want anybody risking themselves either under it or on it. And so engineers and, and construction people have talked and designed and worked on a pattern so that there's a firm foundation. And although, although the people will be suspended, oh, maybe 10 feet into the air, the foundation upon which they stand is just as solid as this. There's no danger up there. And the foundation under which this forbearing and forgiving ministry rests is the person and character and work of Jesus. That's what he says. Look at it. Verse 13. Bearing one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has to complain against any, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The foundation for my forgiving ministry isn't that I'm that kind of personality. It's, it's not that I've, that I've just gone soft or mushy. It's that I have experienced in my own life a forgiveness that takes me to a whole new level, that absolutely frees me from my own personal sense of guilt, from my own sense of being disqualified, from my own sense of being dirty, broken. And that's what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. Now, it may be that this morning you have never felt that marvelous, transforming, forgiving power of Jesus Christ. It may be that, that you, you've given Jesus some of your sins, but some of them are so bad that you're not sure he, he, he could really handle that. It may be that he has forgiven you of all your sins and, and you haven't forgiven yourself yet. I've been there. I understand that. And one, one of the problems with growing up in a, in a fine home, growing up in Sunday school, is that, that, that you develop kind of, a, kind of a sense of goodness about yourself. And some of us have learned 
through bitter experience that we are really sinners too. But perhaps you as a Christian have lived much of your life and, and you've never, never experienced sin that has absolutely taken everything out from under you and made you feel absolutely, totally condemned and worthless before God and before others. But those of us who have been there and then have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ to forgive us, we're here to tell you that it doesn't matter how your sin has manifested itself. You cannot sin so badly that Jesus can't meet your need. So whatever it is that you have done, whatever it is that you do, the Lord Jesus is already predisposed. He's already preconditioned. He's already gone to the cross. He's already paid for the sin, all the sin, every part of the sin. He's already anticipated your need. He's already paid the bill. It's all paid. And he has, beyond paying the bill, he has continued to love you and to desire your fellowship and to desire to cleanse you and to desire to make you whole. That's the foundation upon which this ministry of forgiveness, upon which this experience of forgiveness in the lives of people take place. It's, I can forgive you of any sin you've committed because Jesus has forgiven me and because Jesus has also, in his same ministry of death and resurrection, he anticipated your sins. And while in, in my mind, your sin may seem more or less worse than my sins, that doesn't matter. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So what should my response be to other sinners? Well, recognize that we're all sinners. And recognize that we have this wonderful experience of God's forgiveness because of his grace, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, but because of his grace. Only those who have been to the well of forgiveness themselves are able to pour out the grace of God for other parched souls. There's a lot to think about and apply in the third chapter of Colossians. We hope you'll let the Holy Spirit impress particular thoughts from this message on your heart. It's called Forgiven People Forgive. One way to get the most out of this message would be to re-listen on CD. We'll send that to you for a gift of $7 or more. Also on CD, we're offering the 17 sermons in the series called The People of God for your donation of $59 or more. It isn't summer everywhere, but it is the time when things slow down for many Christian ministries in the Northern Hemisphere. If you've been praying for a way to make a greater impact for Christ in these troubling times, consider a gift to Right Start Ministries just now. And thanks to everyone who's staying faithful in praying and giving no matter what the season. You can order CDs or donate by mail at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
and catch us on the web at rightstartradio.org. It wouldn't be impossible for one person to listen to all the audio that's on the site. It would be quite a feat, though. Hundreds of hours of radio shows and sermons, plus a link to the Right Start podcast on iTunes. And you can contribute, of course, at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Within Paul's circle, there was a living illustration of the principle that forgiven people forgive. His name was Philemon. We'll read his mail tomorrow. Please don't miss Friday's Right Start. <laughs>